Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Good day, good friends. Good to see you. And thanks for joining us to wrap up the week with today's Reporters Roundtable. Oh, stop the clock. We have never had and probably never will have a bigger political story to talk about than today. Yep, after months of of investigation by the Justice Department, Donald Trump has now become the first president or former president ever to be charged with a federal crime, charged with seven counts of mishandling presidential documents, many of them top security, and ordered to appear in a Miami courtroom on Tuesday making Donald Trump twice impeached and twice indicted with more to come. What does this mean for the country? What does it mean for the 2024 Republican primary, where he's still the front runner? Can he survive as a candidate? Will Republicans start to move away from him or rally behind him? And meanwhile, the 2024 race got more crowded this week with announcements by Chris Christie, who admits that he's in it just to take out Donald Trump, and Mike Pence, who raised the stakes by saying Republicans have to choose between Donald Trump and the Constitution, and by Doug Burgum, whoever the hell he is. Uh, And Speaker McCarthy had to shut down the House this week because disgruntled Freedom Caucus members rebelled against him. Whoa, lots to chew on for today's panel. So let's say hello to Leah Escaranem, elections editor for The Messenger. Hi, Leah. Hi, Bill. Uh, and also from The Messenger, Tom Lobianco, national political reporter. Hello, Tom. Hey, Bill. And joining us again, Sudeep Reddy, senior managing editor for Politico. Hello, Sudeep. Hi, Bill. Well, Sudeep, start us off. We were on the edge, all of us, on the edge of our seats all week long waiting thinking that the indictment might be coming down, waiting for the other shoe to drop. It finally did. Um, This is a big historic moment, Sudeep. you got to start there, right? It is absolutely a historic moment. This will will be the thing that it will take dozens of presidents before this happens again. Um, Hopefully it it will take that long. Um, It it just kind of underscores how... uh, how remarkable the the presidency of Donald Trump was, how the aftermath of the presidency of Donald Trump uh, has been, and what the 2024 race will be about now. Um, this is this is a, uh, a somebody who was a candidate uh, in 2016 who who built his entire message around classified documents and uh, and uh, his allegations about Hillary Clinton. And here he is going to have all of his words thrown back at him. The real, the real issue here, though, is, is something that I and lots of other people uh, have asked and wondered whether anything matters in Trump world, whether, whether anything sticks, 
whether anything will make a difference. Um, and that remains to be seen, but uh, at least for the history books, it's a remarkable moment. Uh, Leah, we learned, uh, at least I did, I think most of the world did, about this indictment, uh, not from the Justice Department, uh, but from Donald Trump himself on social media uh, last night, making the announcement and then declaring on a video that he is an innocent man. Here's the former president. I just want to tell you, I'm an innocent man. I did nothing wrong. And we will fight this out just like we've been fighting for seven years. It would be wonderful if we could devote our full time to making America great again. And that's exactly what we did. But now, again, our country is in decline. We're a failing nation. And this is what they do. I'm an innocent man. Yep. So, Leah, um, clearly he's going to fight this as a political war. Right. And he's setting the terms. Uh, I think that's the, the one of the highlights here is that this wasn't a, a, a scoop necessarily that changed the news cycle. Trump changed the news cycle. Trump basically dictated what the rest of the Republican primary was going to be about that night um, and what it's going to be about over the next year. I mean, it's just... Um, it, it in some ways it feels like 2016 all over again when Trump was the center of attention just because he was, you know, saying things that were bombastic and interesting and that got lots of play, page views and clicks. And now he's the center of attention because he is the former president of the United States and facing a, a federal indictment. That's a very different reason why. But once again, we're watching kind of the Trump show um, is the Republican primary. Uh, well, Tom, uh, both Leah and uh, and Sudeep have mentioned the uh, the parallel to 2016. Here's a li- here's a little clip of Donald Trump in 2016, and of course he is talking about what he made the central issue, one of the central issues of his campaign, Hillary Clinton's handling of classified documents and alleged misuse of them. Here's Donald Trump. In my administration. I'm going to enforce all laws concerning the protection of classified information. No one will be above the law. Tom, what goes around comes around. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, and it apparently ends up in the uh, the pool room um, where it gets saturated with water. Yeah. You know, there's a few things that are different about this here. And, you know, I, when I'm out in the field and I'm talking with folks, you know, I was talking with um, a couple at a, a Tim Scott event out in Council Bluffs, Iowa uh, last week. And, uh, and they made a really interesting observation. I was asking just in general where they are on the field, if they like Tim Scott. Um, and, you know, we got on January 6th and Trump and, uh, and they said, you know, look, the, the Democrats and the deep state got him. And it worked. Mm. And that sucks for him, which is why we like DeSantis. And I was like really shocked by that. And I think, you know, when we look at these things here in Washington, um, and, you know, God knows the pandemic was as terrible for reporters as an industry and the profession as anyone else. Um, you know, we kind of we, we get this surface level stuff, you know, where you see that, uh, you know, Republican voters writ large 
you know, agree with Trump's lie that he, you know, his false claims that he won the 2020 election. Clearly he did not. Um, you know, there were no Italian defense satellites nor Chinese thermostats produced to prove that. Um, but when you get out in the field and you start talking with people, there's layers to it. And I always kind of viewed that, and I, and I do hear this on the trail, I always kind of viewed that metric as like a check the box issue. Mm -hmm. And I think you're seeing a lot of that here. I mean, look, look what happened last night in the reaction. Um, you had like eh, make a handful of people. I think you know, Vivek Ramaswamy towed the line for Trump. You had other people like Chris Christie saying, hey, we really need to actually wait and see what's in this indictment before we talk about it. Um, Mike Pence vanished from Hannity. He was supposed to be on Hannity at 9 p.m. Then he wasn't. <laughs> mm. uh, it's a very different dynamic from when Trump used to control everything, especially when he used to control all of the narrative and all of the, all of the media. Now, that said, uh, you know we're only 12 hours into this thing. And we really need to see how it plays out today because, you know, they got, we are still in the middle of the maelstrom. Right. We haven't seen the charges yet. Um, we've seen um, this morning, uh, Sudeep, um, in uh, CNN reporting, uh, that one of the key bits of information is a transcript of an audio recording. This was reported last week, but now CNN's out with actually uh, the wording, wording from some of the wording from that audio where Donald Trump is showing some people they're, they're uh, working on Mark Meadows' uh, autobiography. They're meeting with Donald Trump. Uh, the meeting, for some reason, they're taping Donald Trump. And Donald Trump says, quote, I'm reading from CNN this morning, secret. This is secret information. Look, look at this. This was, this was done by the military and given to me. <laughs> uh, smoking gun, Sudeep. Right. This this is the part uh, saying the quiet part out loud. Right. This is the the part yeah, of Trump yeah. where where you realize, oh, he did know that he shouldn't have information. He did know it. This wasn't an accident. Um, it is the deliberate act, um, and that is what uh, what I'm, I'm sure a grand jury has seen, and and a, a full jury will see at some point. And these are the things that uh, you just shake your head and say. Really? Did you really think this was going to work out okay? And uh, it, it's pretty clear that he was not thinking. So, Leah, here we are. We're in the middle, not the middle of beginning, but already of a crowded Republican primary field. And now the front runner, I mean, by far, the front runner has been twice indicted, like in the last seven weeks. What impact does this have, if any, do you think, on the GOP Republican primary? I mean, does the second indictment really have more of an effect than the first indictment? Like, once you get indicted, doesn't that already have a pretty big effect? I think what we're what well, we're you'd trying have, you'd have to say it is more serious, right? It is the, totally. It's, yeah. it's totally more serious, and this is this is a huge historic moment in terms of the actual charges we're dealing with. But in terms of the way that voters see Donald Trump, it's just it, it would be almost irresponsible to say that 
you know, we expect something to change given the number of things we that could have changed uh, voters' views of Trump and that just happened. And when we say that Trump is the, the front runner, we're not just talking about, like, like you said, we're not talking about five, ten points ahead of Ron DeSantis. We are talking about somebody who's, you know, regularly polling 60% of the Republican electorate. And that's with a whole bunch of um, a whole bunch of baggage, including an indictment, albeit um, not as serious as this one, um, that um, has only strengthened his support with uh, the Republican electorate. Now, I think when we're talking about a general electorate, then we might see, um, you know, more movement from independent voters, from maybe softer Republican voters. But when it comes to the nomination, I mean, we're not even seeing yet um, the Republican primary field changed their positioning on Trump. What we saw last night was more of the same from Chris Christie, DeSantis. I mean, even Chris Christie, who's who's you know seen as the toughest on Trump, who's positioned himself as the toughest on Trump, um, urged caution last night until we you know wait to see what the charges are and until we have more information. Um, you know, one of the the big kind of uh, pieces of advice I got early in my career from from Nathan Gonzalez is it's not necessarily what actually happened; it's what people think happens, and I think what we're and and how they respond. And what we're seeing in the Republican primary is that it's just more of the same. So, so Tom, we could be facing let's, the first indictment. Donald Trump is due in court on March twenty fifth next year, right? right in the middle of the primary. We don't know when he's going to have to come back to face these federal charges in Miami, but probably sometime around around the same time, sometime in the spring, probably not before. You know, Tom, James Comey last week said, we could see Donald Trump accepting the Republican nomination at the Republican convention wearing an ankle bracelet, right, <laughs> from the DOJ. <laughs> I mean... Uh, and we know he's probably facing more charges in Georgia, uh, mm-hmm. in in New York State. And then we've got the January 6th investigation by the mm-hmm. DOJ that we haven't heard yet. Uh, at some point, Tom, do you think the the cumulative weight of this legal evidence brings him down? It could. And that is the calculation and the and the. And the and the, the the gamble, the bet that uh, every Republican not named Trump is, is taking right now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, you know, if you look at how Trump has handled these things, and one of the things I think about when I look at how the, the Republicans have been responding to him, um, he's a known quantity at this point. He's been around for a decade. People have a pretty good idea of what he does. Now there's some struggle, you know, to figure out what works. You know, our, our, our colleague at The Messenger, Mark Caputo, had a really great piece a couple days ago with a you know, longtime Republican pollster, Patrick Ruffini, you know, digging into this question. Now, I will say, in, in building on what, what Leah said, that, you know, the, the advice from Nathan Gonzalez <clears throat> is Pen, or, uh, Pence, Jesus, um, Trump, both of them, really Trump and Pence, but Trump in this case, uh, is a master at uh, crisis comms. And uh, yeah, I think I, I think I read that Richard Levick uh, passed away recently. He wrote a book um, years ago called uh, "It's Like Stop the Presses," which is like the the crisis comms PR handbook. It's what it's what PR people use against us 
when something like this happens. <laughs> and one of the things that you do in crisis PR is you get in front of it and define it or try to define it um, before anybody else can, in, in this case, before reality can hit. Uh, I'm not sure that works, though, this time because of the gravity of this. You know, look at, uh, look at the difference between Trump-Russia and even really the indifference between the Manhattan uh, uh, indictment. This one, we've been hearing a lot more quickly roll out. These things from the from wherever it's coming from, it does seem like the prosecutors are doing strategic leaks in a way that Robert Mueller did not. Mueller was not the one leaking. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole world of, I mean, there is a certain lawyer working for a certain Hunter Biden who used to work for a certain number of people inside the Trump White House who is very chatty. Um, th- this is just a very different dynamic, and I think that we're going to see a lot more of it. And absolutely, at this moment, it is defining the race. Um, now, whether that accrues to Trump, we have to see. Whether this solidifies his core and the weaker, you know, softer Trump people start peeling off to you know, other Republicans that don't have all this baggage, potentially. Or maybe he locks it up tomorrow. Maybe everybody drops out with the exception of Asa Hutchinson and says, yeah, he's our guy. Yeah, Sudeep, I was going to ask you, what, how do you read the reaction of the other candidates in the race? So far as I know, Asa Hutchinson is the only one who has just said, look, Trump ought to just get out now. In fact, Hutchinson said that before the indictments were even announced, right? But all, all the rest seem afraid to go there. They're afraid to go there because they, they have this, uh, this fascinating uh, idea in their heads that they're going to be able to peel away the Trump voters through some other means. And it's just it's kind of silly uh, to, to think that um, c- clearly they need to make the case that an indicted Trump is not somebody who's going to be able to win a general election. And certainly a Trump in an- ankle uh, bracelets is not somebody who can win a general election. Um, but, uh, they, they're, they're scared of being, uh, attacked this early, uh, for saying so. And that kind of just tells you the, what the tone of the, the race is going to be when Ron DeSantis is unwilling to use this, when he actually has a, has a shot of displacing Trump. Um, that's, that's an indication of where this whole race is going. Um, and I guess final point on this, uh, Leah, we don't know, we haven't seen the charges yet. Um, I don't remember ever seeing Jack Smith talk, speak in public. I, you know, he could walk into the Palm for lunch and I probably wouldn't even recognize him. Right. But uh, I have the impression that this guy is a very serious player, knows what the hell he's doing and he's really on top of his game and that Donald Trump ought to uh, watch out. Right. For, for Jack Smith. He's up against a real pro, isn't he? We are drawing attention to two very different problems that Trump is facing. One is a political one that he's able to leverage, most likely in his, or he's been able to leverage to his advantage. And I, I think what Tom said was absolutely right. Um, you know, we'll see this time. Um, but the second one and the more important one is a major crime that he's being accused of, mm-hmm. um, and um, that's not something that you can 
you know, message your way out of or win a primary out of. Um, so it's a it's it's a serious situation. Yeah, when you're in front of a grand jury, um, or when you're in front of a judge or a jury, uh, it is a uh, in a court of law. Uh, it is a different situation, uh, even for a former president of the United States, at least one one would hope. Uh, and speaking of that primary, there was a, a lot more action uh, this week on the political front. Nobody better to talk about it than today's panel. Leah Escaranam, Tom Lobianco, and Sudeep Reddy. Let's take a quick break here. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk on the other side about some of the other political news for 2024 here on the Bill Press Pod. And today's podcast, today's roundtable brought to you by American Federation of Teachers, America's largest teachers union under the leadership of President Randy Weingarten. They are the ones in the classroom every day, preschool and then K through 12 and higher education as most doing the Lord's work. We salute the teachers of America, salute the members of the AFT, thank them for their great work and thank them for their longtime support of the Bill Press Pod. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we're back with today's roundtable on a historic day, right on the uh, day after the we learned about the indictment of uh, Donald Trump on seven charges of mishandling federal documents. Today's panel, Sudeep Reddy, Senior Managing Editor for Politico, Tom LoBianco, National Political Reporter for The Messenger, and Leah Escaranam, Elections Editor for The Messenger. So it was uh, Chris Christie in New Hampshire on Tuesday, Mike Pence in Iowa on Wednesday, and Doug Burkham from North Dakota out there. I think that was Wednesday also, maybe Thursday. Let's start with uh, Chris Christie. Um, is there a lane, Tom, do you think, for uh, an anti-Trumper in this Republican primary? Uh, could be, if they all united <laughs> behind one person. Um, I mean, this is what Scott Walker back, said back in September 2015 when he dropped out. 
And pretty sage advice from the guy, even if, you know, not, not a lot else he's says. <laughs> um, right. He said you have to get behind one person. And I mean, that's basic math. I mean, it's Moneyball, right? This is, you know, mm-hmm. Trump rolls 30 percent, whatever of the pie. And then if you throw in 10 other people, you know, supplement salesmen, you know, God knows what um, is slicing up the rest of the pie. Um, they're not going to have that much. Um, and, you know, there's been some talk that Christie is the the, the kamikaze uh, bomber of the of New Hampshire. Yeah. Could be, mm-hmm. I, you know, not everybody not everybody runs to win. Some people <laughs> run for book contracts. Um, some people run because they decide that yeah, this is like pretty serious. Um, you know, it, it might be the uh, it, you know it could be a save the Republican Party plan because. You know, remember back in 2016, the the whole thing with Access Hollywood, and really all of it was when Trump was at the top of the ticket, was a concern from the rest of the Republican Party, previous the RNC, that it would just ruin them down ticket. And now, obviously, that did not happen. Um, But this time feels a little different. You know, there's more to actually, he has a record now. Um, and people are, uh, you know, when I'm out in the field, I hear exhaustion from voters mm-hmm. and maybe I'm talking to like, not the right voters, but I don't know. I don't know who is a right voter these days. <laughs> well, well, Leah, in fact, Chris Christie made it pretty clear in his announcement that his mission was not to win. His mission was to take out Donald Trump. I think they're the very words that he used, uh, making yeah. him, an, making him an unusual candidate for sure. No, I mean, it is. And I, I mean, I think we were kind of expecting somebody like Larry Hogan to be that candidate and, you know, he's, he decided not to. So now we're, we're kind of left with, with Chris Christie and then like a little bit of Asa Hutchinson as the, uh, the Trump critics. I, I, I totally agree with what Tom said. I mean, there's, there, it, there's very little downside to running for president most of the time, right? Like if you're thinking about building your career, your political career, um, there's not a better way to get national exposure, book deals, podcasts, MSNBC contracts, et cetera. Um, So I don't know. I mean, I I think it'll be – if again, thinking back to 2016, I think it's going to make for some interesting content on the debate stage <laughs> if Chris Christie can get on it um, yeah. because if he needs to get yeah. uh, enough donors. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's 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 going to be a show uh, on the debate stage. Interesting if Chris Chris Christie gets enough uh, support to get on the stage. And interesting if Donald Trump agrees to get on the stage, right, with with Chris Chris Christie. Uh, and Sadiq Christie, um, he may be the leading anti-Trumper now, but that was not always the case, as we know. Um, Chris Christie admitted up in New Hampshire that uh, in 2016, he just made a big mistake. Here, here he is. It was a mistake in 2016 not to confront Donald Trump early. Because I knew that so much of what he said was complete baloney. Like, I knew it. I'm going to build the greatest, most wonderful wall across the entire Mexico border, and Mexico is going to pay for it. Well, like, I knew, as someone who had governed, that that was complete bull. But I was like, eh, people aren't going to believe that. 
They're not going to believe that. Mistake. It was a mistake. <laughs> so, uh, and then he became the most loyal uh, Trumper of all for like five years. Uh, can he just put that past behind him, Sudeep? You know, why not? Why not do that? Why not get yourself into the race and and carry this lane? Why not? Like, what like what what does he have to lose right now? Um, maybe he can get a book uh, out of it. He'll probably get a TV deal at some point for the general election uh, to at least be the the person speaking in support of Joe Biden there. So why not? Um, that's all he has to to think about right now. Yeah. What else is Chris Christie doing? So then there's Mike Pence. All right, Tom. You're the Pence man. At least you wrote a book about Mike Pence. <laughs> he made history this week, becoming the first former vice president to run against his former boss since John Nance Gardner ran against FDR. Um, Mike Pence, uh, having been loyal to Donald Trump for so long, does he have a legitimate case to make here? And what is it? We're seeing the case. I, I was shocked. You know, it, Todd Houston, his longtime state rep, his nephew of former um, Nixon aide, uh, 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 Tom Houston, um, Indiana state rep. Uh, Todd, he's the speaker of the Indiana House. He gets up there out in Des Moines, Iowa, introducing Pence. And, in, you know, he's making a joke. He says that he read somewhere that people think Mike Pence is like mayonnaise on white toast. And, <laughs> Good. Good description. <laughs> and Todd, you know, he used to, he's like, he's like, and I'm here to tell you that this, this mayonnaise and white toast, well, maybe there's going to be some Iowa bacon on there and a dash of Tabasco. Um, and Pence kind of threw a dash of Tabasco mm-hmm. on there. I was shocked. You know, he lit into Trump, but not in like a, you know, Trump is, you know, not like Trump is fat, Trump is ugly, Trump is stupid, you know, not with like the insults that Trump's, Trump uses and kind of like Trump world uses, but more sweeping rhetoric. I was really, if you've listened to one pen speech, you've listened to them all. Um, his staccato, you know, inserting these weird breaks and pauses where they don't really belong. Uh, but for the first time in my, you know, I've been covering 12 years for the first time, really, it felt like the words and the gravity of the words finally matched his delivery. Um, and so the question now is, you know, does he lean into this? We got some indication on Wednesday night, went to the CNN town hall where he backed off of it. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, don't pardon the rioters. But if you ask me about pardoning Donald Trump, that's a hypothetical. I can't answer that. Yeah. Right. Um, right. And then that the next morning, his super PAC, you know, kicks Trump in the gut, saying he's a weak man because he let a mob, he appeased a mob on January 6th. Now, obviously, that that is not what actually happened on January 6th. Um, I mean, appeasing is certainly one way of looking at it, but Trump fueled the mob. Um, you know, we, we all remember the January 6th testimony where um, he was told that there were people in the crowd on the South Lawn with uh, automatic rifles who were trying to get in. And he responded, you know, let them in, of course, because they're not here to hurt me. Um, 
So, you know, that that kind of glosses over it. Mm-hmm. The next big test here for Pence, and, you know, Pence was set to do Hannity last night, you know, shortly after the indictment. Um, there's some there's some back and forth on whether, you know, how that fell apart. Um, but this is the next big test for him. And if he wants a foothold, there's no better way to do it than punching the guy who is the lead candidate. I mean, you punch up, right. you don't punch down. Yeah. So, so Leah, one uh, issue that Mike Pence, uh, Mike Pence certainly has not backed off on uh, in his announcement in Iowa, he made it, he went after Donald Trump, even, now this is a president who appointed the justices who overturned Roe v. Wade. Mike Pence still says that Donald Trump is not strong enough on this issue of abortion. Here he is. When Donald Trump ran for president, he promised to govern as a conservative. After leading the most pro-life administration in American history, Donald Trump and others in this race are retreating from the cause of the unborn. Sanctity of life has been our party's calling for a half a century. Now he treats it as an inconvenience. So, Leah, this didn't prove to be such a winning issue for Republicans in 2022, um, but Mike Pence thinks it will be in 2024. What I found most interesting about that is the rest of the Republican field is doing a little bit of gymnastics around the question about abortion rights, right? Yeah. There's, um, It's really hard to pin anyone down on, you know, at what at what point in the pregnancy should should an abortion be allowed? And and Trump, you know, hasn't ruled out six weeks, but also hasn't ruled out, you know, no federal legislation at all. Um, which I, I and the reason why they're all doing this gymnastics is because it's politically perilous. There's it's it's really hard to appease um a, a majority of the Republican electorate, and it's really hard to appease um, you know, even harder to appease the, the general electorate. So while Pence's position might not be the most popular position, it's also a very clear-cut position that gives him a bit of an advantage as the rest of the primary tries to figure out what they're going to say about abortion. Sure. Uh, And that's certainly the track that he's uh, chosen to take. Uh, Sudeep, I guess, final point on Mike Pence, unless you want to add something about Doug Burgum. Maybe we just wait and see how Doug Burgum plays out. But about Mike Pence, I was surprised when uh, uh, Dana Bash on CNN Ask him, okay, after Pence had said Donald Trump's unfit to be president, we can't go back there, you know, it's the Constitution or Donald Trump, you got to choose. Then she says, the, the one big question, will you support the nominee of the party, even if it's Donald Trump? And Mike Pence says, of course, I'll support the nominee of the party. <laughs> kind of undercut his own message, No. Yeah, the entire messaging of the field uh, seems scrambled. And when Mike Pence can't make up his mind of how he's going to treat uh, the John- Donald Trump question, then uh, it's it's clear that uh, that nobody else can. Uh, maybe there is some room here for some Bergamania or Bergamentum uh, to come in and, <laughs> and change this and, and maybe re- reset everyone's thinking uh, about uh, where their priorities are. But the Donald Trump question seems to trip everybody up. Uh, and whether to support him. And there's no, really no getting around that. So that's it for a week. Uh, the next week is going to be uh, just, we know, full bore on the Trump uh, indictment. We've never seen anything like this in American history, and we'll be 
rocking and rolling our way through it. Uh, but thanks for getting us started today uh, to our panelists, Leah Scaranem from The Messenger, Tom Lobianco, a national political reporter from The Messenger, and Sudeep Reddy, senior managing editor from Politico. It's been a busy week, a lot to cover. We didn't get into the big Supreme Court decision yesterday or the squabble in the House of Representatives with Kevin McCarthy and the Freedom Caucus. But with all the stories we're covering, there's always one that kind of stops you in your tracks. We always call it, we call it our favorite story of the week. Uh, what made you kind of stop in your tracks this week? Leah, start us off. So I've been reading a bit about um, the, the air. <laughs> the air. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, because it's hard to breathe here. It's not great. Um, and I've been actually keeping up with a relatively new website um, called Heat Map. Um, and one of the articles that stood out was about climate regionalism and how uh, – depending on where you live, um, you think you have it worse than mm. the place that is that is dealing with the current crisis um, or the latest manifestation of the climate crisis um, and how that's probably not an effective uh, strategy going forward or, or a very productive conversation to have. Um, so I'd recommend that, but I'd also just recommend, you know, if you're trying to learn about what's happening, um, Heat Map has been a really good resource for me. Uh, and I recommend if you're in Washington, D.C. or in New York City or anywhere else where you are, uh, we're seeing this incredible um, impact of the fires in Canada, wear a mask uh, for your own for your own for your own safety. Uh, I did yesterday and boy, I felt like I needed it. Uh, Sudeep, uh, what caught your attention this week, particularly on your favorite story? My favorite story of the week is just a little clip we saw over the weekend after the debt ceiling vote. Uh, we saw that uh, one of our favorite lawmakers, of course, Lauren Boebert, had missed the vote. Um, and uh, she <laughs> came out over the, over the weekend after all the votes saying that she was actually a no-show protest about the debt limit vote. This was a protest for her not showing up at this vote. Uh, but Lordy, there's always a tape. And there's tape of uh, a reporter catching her running up the steps, uh, asking, uh, did they really close the vote? Did they close the vote? She's trying to rush and get to the vote. It wasn't really all that much of a protest. It was her just missing a vote out somewhere else, didn't make it to the vote, tries to spin it as something else. Uh, and um, I, I know facts don't matter anymore, but uh, this was one that uh, I, I hope is at least a little entertaining for folks who can find it. Uh, it was very, very funny. Yeah, she got caught in the spin. Uh, a very fun, funny moment. Uh, thanks, Sadeep. Uh, okay, Tom, Tom Lopianco, of all the things that you saw this week, even something maybe you weren't covering, what caught your attention? You know, I, I remember the uh, first time I saw Bovert in person, um, standing outside of the speaker's lobby, uh, where we all go to, you know, try to get quotes from folks. Um, and she like just bumped into me running around a corner and I looked down and I was like, and I was like, what the, what? It's like, who's this short person? And the first <laughs> thing that popped into my head was, man, these Politico pro reporters are frigging everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, the, uh, the story I can't, I mean, because my eyes and ears bleed since I'm saturated in all Trump Pence politics for coming up on a decade now. 
Um, I try to get little mental palate cleansers and holy crap, this guy, uh, Ellie De La Cruz for the Cincinnati Reds. I mean, he just like knocked one 458 yard, uh, 58 feet, um, out into like the grandstands. I took my kid to uh, her first ball game a couple weeks ago. And, um, one of the other parents was like, they're like, no way we're going to get ball up here. And I was like, I don't know, man, maybe uh-huh. bring a glove. <laughs> so it's, I, I love watching a good baseball game and uh, this guy, Dale Cruz, holy crap. I can swing a bat. All right. Well, I hope your uh, hope your daughter appreciated that as well as much as you did. Uh, and I got to say, well, my favorite story of the week. Uh, you know, there's so much bad news out there that every once in a while, a feel good story, it kind of makes you feel good. That's what it's all about. My feel good story of the week. You probably saw it up in Vancouver, Canada. This is the cupcake thief who uh, broke into the little cupcake store pastry shop called Sweet Something in the middle of the night. He kicked the door in. The videotape shows it all. Kicked the door in, uh, crawls in through the broken glass, uh, and then he sits down for a few minutes. Then he gets up and he uses the bathroom. Then he takes some selfies on the store's cell phone, and then he picks up a mop and a broom, and he cleans up all the mess he made, all the shattered glass, and and cleaned cleaned up the mess. And then he picked up six cupcakes and walked out, uh, obviously feeling guilty because the next day he called the store owner, apologized for breaking into her cupcake shop, and uh, agreed uh, and offered to pay $850 to repair the door. Uh, And the pastry shop uh, responded by making up uh, little cookies with the orange, shaped like the orange sunglasses that he was wearing uh, in the video. Uh, and the, the sweet shop has had more business than they ever had before. So it was a feel-good story with a happy ending, and I just wish more uh, break-ins ended up, um, <laughs> ended up <laughs> with that ending rather than what we usually see. Uh, so with that, a big thank you to today's panel. Leah Skaranam, again, elections editor from The Messenger. Sudeep Reddy, senior managing editor from Politico. Tom LaBianco, national political reporter for The Messenger. A thanks to our panelists and thanks to all of you for listening today. Have a great weekend, everybody. Our next podcast is on Tuesday, and we're going to be talking with Governor J.B. Pritzker, the governor of Illinois. He's doing some great things in Illinois, and we'll find out what he has to say about the indictment of Donald Trump. That's up next on Tuesday. We'll see you then on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.